0: How's your week been been good? Good. How did the All Blacks do last night? Did they win? We were out for dinner. We missed it. I have to do a catch up. Yeah, you can say, "Oh, it's a, one of those all oh, moments." I'd be open to that. Actually, I heard it. We won. About twice as many points, if I recall correctly. Yeah, so it's good. Not that we're here about the All Blacks, we're here to do God. For many, the All Blacks are God. Not here, they're just mere individuals who wear a good looking black top and support a really great country that God is blessing. Hey, if you've got your Bibles this morning how about we turn to uh two james chapter two verse twenty two two james two verse twenty two sorry Very funny. Okay. And it says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. How appropriate. And the, Lord, <laughs> the Lord's service, servant must not be quarrelsome. But must be kind to everyone able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be uh, gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repent, repentance, leading to them leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captives to his well. You know, when I was in the police. Actually, earlier this week, I was having lunch with Jackson over there and Courtney and Hannah on Wednesday. And uh, Jackson's in the Army based um, here at Trentham. And I, I was uh, remembering old times, and I said, oh, I, was, I stayed at the Army base there for three weeks during my police training, and uh, a week and a half of it was spent doing firearms training and a week and a half of it was spent doing driver training and whatnot. Um, and what, part of that training, we would we went to Manfield and we spent a couple of days at Manfield um, uh, motor track or Racetrack. I don't know what the official name is these days. But but part of the exercise that you would do was you would be in a lot of different cars, and at one stage you'd be in a pursuit car or a uh, or a, a chase car, um, trying to catch the person who was. Supposedly, the bad person, and what I found was uh, the person who was in the in the car uh, that was setting the pace was always a qualified training driving instructor who was very skilled, and that and the driving instructors really were phenomenally skilled. And uh, then you had these recruits and that that were trying to learn their lines and and um, how to how to drive around corners fast and how not to lose control and that. And one of the funny things that would happen was the driving instructors, they would slow down a little bit so the recruits, when they were learning to kind of catch up to them, uh, would catch up and be following through. And now there, when you're racing in a, in a car, there are lines that you take that that help you not to spin out on corners and stuff like that if you watch racing you know, racing with motor vehicles and that, you'll see that, but one thing that the instructors loved to do was they would let the car kind of catch up so it wasn't too far behind them, and then they would take wrong lines, which which if you're following another car and you're trying to do everything it does, actually leads you into error, and so, and so you would end up like, you know, watching people and, uh, you know, you'd get your lines all out and you'd end up having to hit the brakes or slide out at a corner or something, and they thought it was a great joke. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it was all about finding the right way to go through a situation without losing control. Back when I was at university, I... I um, did a number of papers with a, with a doctor, his name was Phil Ramsey, and he was a great guy, and did lots of training and development, and stuff, and that, and, and I remember one, one afternoon, on a Friday afternoon, I was sitting in a tutorial with him, and he told this joke, he said there was this lady driving to Gisborne, and she was in that windy part that comes between Napier and Gisborne, you know, uh, a little way through it hits that horrible piece of road where it's just really windy and horrible uh, for about an hour or hour and a half. And so she's driving around that and suddenly another car comes around the corner and it's on the wrong side of the road and it's a male driver and it's a convertible. And as he gets closer to her, he yells out, cow, she looks at him, she gets offended and she yells back, pig, pig. And then she drives around the corner and hits a, hits a cow. <laughs> why am I telling these stories? I have no idea what that, what that lecture was about that afternoon. I just remember that there was a joke about a woman, a cow, and a pig. And I can't remember what the teaching point was. So why am I telling them? Well... One of the things I realise, and I'm speaking today, it's uh, intentional shifts or unintentional drifts. Intentional shifts or unintentional drifts, and one of the things that I realise in our in our walk in life, and it and and it goes with anything that we're doing in life. If we're not intentional about what we're doing, then unintentionally we can be taken off track. And one of the things that I realize as a believer in Jesus is that if I'm not intentional about what I am trying to do and where I am trying to go, circumstances will take me off track. It's just the way it is. If we don't push into God, we get pushed away from God. And I kind of—I was thinking about it this morning, and I, and I was think, kind of thinking about the tides. You know, when the tide comes in, you watch objects in the sea, and you can see them coming in. And when the tide's going out, you see objects get sucked out. I remember years ago we were up with some friends uh, just out of Gisborne at a at a, a little beach spot called Lewis Hills, which is phenomenal. But some—I remember I was sitting down at a table. With my brother, and I was just, I was just in kind of in Christmas mode. I was just relaxing, and and I was kind of my mind wasn't even in it. We we're just chatting. I was just sitting there in the sun, just you know, just brain was switched off, and I was just looking out to the sea. And our friends uh, were out at the water's edge. Uh, their kids were surfing, and Penny, our our friend, was in the surf, and and I was just. I was just sitting watching them, all the people swimming in the sea, and I was chatting to my brother. And, and then I started watching my friends, and I started noticing that Mark, the husband, was out of the water, and he was over on some rocks. There was a reef next to it, and he was running across the rocks or hopping across the rocks. And I looked at him. Something got my attention, and it didn't look right. And I thought, what is Mark doing? And then, I, and then I looked at him more and I thought, what's he up to? And then I realised that um, his son Ashton and Penny were caught in a rip and they were actually being sucked out to sea. And he was running across the reef trying to get out to them to jump back in. Uh, luckily, there was a person on a kayak coming in from further out and he gave them a tow and they came back in and we jumped, jumped out and helped bring them back in. Uh, but I realized, you know, when the tide's going out or when you hit a rip, you can get taken out. When the tide's coming in, you get bored. in. But then there's a slack period between high tide and low tide where everything just, and it's called the slack period. It's the worst time to fish uh, because it's just everything's slack. And you just watch stuff and it just kind of drifts. And it doesn't really go anywhere or do anything. But the thing I realize is when we're, if we're in a sailing boat in the slack part of, tide, of the tide, we can actually move by raising a sail. And we can actually move as believers when things get slack in the world and, and there, there seems to be drift or potential drift by raising spiritual sails. And some of this comes through preparation. I was thinking about, you know, we use preparation in everything, don't we? The All Blacks, before they played last night, didn't just run onto a paddock and play the wallabies. They actually warmed up. They, th- they probably spent all the day, well, they spent the week in practices, they spent the day thinking in their mind, these are the lines I'm going to run, this is what I'm going to do, this is, this is how I'm going to have wallab- wallaby for dinner, You know, they ran out. They warmed their muscles up so they wouldn't injure themselves. They got, they probably warmed up to the point of being quite hot, and you know, really, really warmed up, so they're ready to fire from the minute the whistle goes. You know, when we're doing school exams, we do mock exams. What's that? That's warming up. That's practicing. That's preparing. When we're, when we come to church in the morning, we do a prayer and production meeting, and we spend time praying. What are we doing? We're preparing for the service. The musicians come early. they normally arrive about 8.30 in the morning and they practice, they rehearse. They don't just get up at church time and just suddenly sing some songs, though they probably could, but they don't. They turn up and they practice, they prepare. And the singers actually warm up before that. They spend time warming up their voices and, and uh, no doubt the musicians practice and warm up and learn this stuff before they get here, or I hope they do. So being prepared, being intentional about things is powerful, when we're wanting to stay on track, when we're wanting to move. And so I've got a couple of thoughts around that. And a, and a couple around, around sort of, it's obviously our, our um, thought is always towards God. And so my first tip is always be seeking for the truth. If you don't want to be drifted spiritually in that, always be seeking for the truth. I don't know how many friends I've got who I was in youth group for, with, who have drifted over the years, and they and they just they and I think part of it is they've stopped seeking for truth. They've let things come into their lives, and that and uh, a lot of them still are going hot for God, but I'm surprised at how many aren't. And sometimes you come across believers that used to be, you know, like through the '80s and the charismatic movement and the and everything and and they, they just seem so kind of cruisy, so slack tide period type floaty. And, and it, just, it just makes me weird how you, how you can become that. But one of the things we need to do is always be seeking for the truth. And that's one of the things that, uh, coming back to that scripture that I started with, with Paul and, and Timothy, Paul was like Timothy's dad. Now they don't know, but they wonder if Paul actually didn't lead Timothy to the Lord when he was young. They think he may have. He was definitely a huge uh impact in Timothy, Timothy's life. And in fact, Timothy traveled with Paul uh a lot um through various places and that, and then, then Paul moved on and left Timothy at Ephesus. And uh Timothy was left kind of pastoring a group of people, and Paul wrote to Timothy basically to just give him guidance in different areas and ch- uh, chat to him and talk to him and encourage him and uh, tell him how to deal with situations. And one of the things that, that Paul went on to say was about bringing truth into people's worlds, but doing it with grace. And you can see that with the scripture that I read. I mean, that that kind of, that those verses that I read there are actually reoccurring themes that Paul um, speaks about through, um, through the letters, two letters that he wrote uh, to Timothy. And so... Um, and so there's that city in the background. But we should be like scud missiles. We shouldn't need a Paul to send us a letter that we need to stay intact with truth. We should be seeking truth ourselves. We should be self-starting in that area. But it's nice to have a letter arrive as well. But I don't leave it to letters to arrive. I, I try and be a self-starter. So I try and seek truth. You know, Jeremiah says twenty-nine says, If you seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I realized that God is, and God also with his principles, if we want to find God in his truth, then all we need to do is seek him. And when we do it with all our heart, we find him. Complicated, eh? Isn't that so technical? No, God God isn't a mystery in the sense that he runs and hides from us like we're playing hide and go seek. He says, if you seek for me, you'll find me if you do it with all your heart. If you do it sincerely, like don't play games with me, uh, but do it sincerely. I saw this clip on YouTube through the week, and it kind of made me start thinking about seeking for the truth. So we're going to play it in one second uh, and it's about an atheist girl who didn't believe in God, obviously. That's why she was an atheist. But she would challenge Christians. She would go to school and challenge Christians. And the thing that I kind of um, have re- recognized out of it is she was seeking truth. Even as an atheist, she was challenging people as she sought truth. And it had an impact. So how about we watch this clip?
1: things as an atheist is that all of these values why am i important why should people care about me a lot of those things come from your own performance as the daughter of two atheists
2: jordan manji felt she had a lot to prove
1: you have to understand my family is very competitive there's always been a high priority on being the best so much about my identity was founded on i'm the smartest one in the room right I'm not the prettiest, I'm not the most athletic, right? I'm the smartest.
2: At 11 years old, Jordan decided there was no God and began openly challenging her Christian classmates.
1: I would bring the Bible to school with post-it notes where all the contradictions were, and then I would say, tell me why this isn't a contradiction. And they couldn't really do it.
2: But in high school, Jordan started to see a contradiction in her own beliefs. She considered herself a good person, but that raised a question she couldn't answer. Where does morality come from, if not from God?
1: Why is something right or wrong? Why do I believe in human rights? I don't believe in a God, so where are these things coming from? I had gone and asked all of these other people, and nobody had a good answer. I had this kind of epiphany where I said, I'm going to wait until college to explore those questions so that I can get into a good school. And that worked out pretty well, because I got into Harvard.
2: There, she quickly discovered she was no longer at the top of the class.
1: Now being surrounded by people with whom I'm no longer the smartest person in the room 95% of the time, it destroys that sense of identity and of worth and it makes you wonder, who really am I and what makes me valuable?
2: As Jordan began to question her worth, she became friends with Joseph Porter, a Christian conservative who gave her even more questions to think about.
1: It really started pressing me on where does your morality come from? Why do you believe in it? You're just saying it kind of emerges from nowhere. I started seeing maybe there are these cracks in my own intellectual framework.
2: Jordan enrolled into a meta ethics class, hoping to find answers that would strengthen her argument. Instead, she was assigned a short reading assignment, an essay by C.S. Lewis.
1: Essentially what C.S. Lewis says is God is goodness. God is the good, and our lives are good when we strive to imitate God. It was mind-blowing. Jordan wanted to explore this idea
2: further, so she decided to read the Bible again. This time, she would try to understand it, not critique it. And when she read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, she was struck by what he said about what it means to be good.
1: As an atheist, I was living life better according to a Christian ethic, than a lot of Christians were. Like I wasn't sleeping around, I wasn't doing drugs, I wasn't drinking, I was a good student. And so it was very easy for me to think of myself as a good person. And it was only when I went back to the words of Jesus and I saw, no, you're an angry person. You may not be sleeping around, but you experience lust. You are very arrogant, you think too highly of yourself. Seeing those things made me realize that I wasn't really a good person. Maybe there's some truth here that I haven't figured out yet. Maybe I don't know the best way to run my life.
2: Jordan kept reading until she came to John 19.
1: I had finally made it to the crucifixion scene. And as I was reading it, I had this moment where I just said, no, Aslan, no.
2: For years, Jordan believed C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was just a story. But now as she read of Jesus' crucifixion, she realized her favorite tale from Narnia was more than a work of fiction. Aslan, the great lion of Lewis's story, was Jesus. And she was just like Edmund, arrogant, but redeemed.
1: It just immediately clicked, like, I am Edmund, Jesus is Aslan, and he is dying for my sake. Seeing it now with me in the story was just a totally, radically new way of looking at it. And um, realizing kind of my own sinfulness in that moment and my own need for healing from that sin made all the difference in how I read it. And so I started just crying, thinking about, really thinking about Aslan, but thinking about Jesus through that process. realizing in that moment that you're Edmund is to realize I'm powerless. I need help. I recognize my own incurable need for forgiveness that could only come from Jesus Christ. Still, that wasn't enough
2: to break Jordan's deeply rooted need for intellectual evidence of God. So she poured over every scientific argument, analyzed every prominent religion, and all the evidence pointed her back to Jesus Christ.
1: One of the things that helped me the most to eliminate my pride was having to admit that I had been wrong all of those years as an atheist.
2: Ultimately, it came down to a profound yet simple truth.
1: As I thought about what love really was, I could see how Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect embodiment of that. God is love and God is truth, so God is goodness. It was at that point when I realized, If I want to try this Christianity business, I can't do it half-heartedly. I have to be fully committed.
2: On April 12,
1: 2009,
2: Jordan gave her life to Jesus. Since then, she has grown even stronger in her faith. She graduated from Harvard in 2012, recently married, and is currently pursuing a doctoral degree at Fuller Theological Seminary. But she says none of that determines her value.
1: What is man that God is mindful of him? What am I that I have value? So long, my value had come from the things that I had done. So moving to a framework where instead the reason I knew I was valuable was because Christ had died for me, that he loved me regardless of what I would ever do, it's immensely freeing.
0: Great. Gina came up to me at the start of it and said, You said James is your scripture, it's Timothy. And I went, Ah, is that what I did? Tip two. So always seeking truth. Tip two is always be seeking to live out a greater level of commitment so it's all about commitment always be seeking to live out a greater level of commitment i don't mean that we're always working harder because i know this is this is how sometimes this can sound when it's packaged like this that what i'm what i'm saying is you have to be here more or be harder i'm just meaning that we're always uh, when we're, we're always intentionally from an attitude um, perspective looking to be more committed to God that we're never resting on our laurels never resting on what happened yesterday but always looking forward to always pushing to God harder I don't know how it works but I but if you keep that focus right God keeps honoring it and turning up and I and I say that from personal experience um, I had this wonderful um, situation uh, this week. Last week, last Sunday, I was speaking to Kumedini, uh, who isn't, I don't think they're here today, I think they're out of town in Palmerston this weekend. Uh, but we were sitting down having coffee, and she said, We've got a neighbour who has a drug and alcohol addiction problem, and he's uh, so bad that he's actually at the hospital in the treatment center there with a guard on his door so he can't leave. It's not the first time this has happened. Um, and she said, I'm not sure what to do about it. And I said, would you like to go and visit him and I'll come with you? So she said, yes, I'd love that. So on Monday, we we headed on to um, Hutt Hospital and went and visited this person with the guard on the door. And, uh, you know, I didn't... I just went as moral support and I thought I don't even know this person, I don't know what the attitude's gonna be like, I don't know if I walk into the room and they're gonna they're gonna fire up or exactly what's gonna happen. But we walked in and, and just shook his hand and he was very happy to have visitors and whatnot tonight and, and we just sat down and I just sat and listened to Kumidini, and I said I said pretty much zero, really, you know, I'd say close to zero. And I just sat there and listened to Kumidini who uh, just chatted and talked and then put the thumbnails on um, because he knew about the gospel and started really talking to him like, what is going to change? What are you going to do? How are you going to rectify this? And, and he had decided that he was going to give God a shot and uh, give his life to God. And then, he, and then he said, so where do we go from here? Isn't that cool? So what do we do? Where do we go from here? He, he looks to us and, okay, how does this work? What do we do? And uh, so I was so proud of Kumidini, Um And, and um, to answer that, that question, uh, they went and visited him a couple of days ago. And I'm going, uh, I think, tomorrow to visit him again. And then we'll just get together weekly and start just ongoing the journey and seeing how and where um, but obviously we all know when you're talking about things like pee addictions, um, it's pretty hard yakka uh, and, it's, and it's a difficult road ahead so it will not be smooth sailing um, but I was so impressed by Kumadini because she committed to do something really, really difficult and she followed through on it And I know that's not the first time she's done that. She's led people to the Lord before. She's a committed woman, and she's a light to God, and she's a great disciple, an example of what we all should be like, just because, and she didn't have all the answers. She didn't know what to do. Like She didn't know exactly how she wanted to go about it, but she knew she was willing to do something, and when the opportunity was there, she walked through the door and did it. Isn't that cool? Maybe we should all be like that. Maybe I should be like that more too. That was an example to me. I was greatly encouraged to see Kumidini doing this great stuff. And it, and it bodes well, and, it, and it's a great example of you guys and the depth that you have and uh, the commitment that you have as a church towards others. So I, I say this as an as not uh you don't know, measure up, as as an encouragement to us all that we can we can do this. You know, we can see someone broken and we can step in and intervene and do something about it by just by just doing that. You know, her friend turned up and he just started asking her questions and talking to her about truth and morality and everything and it started raising questions with her own situation and she realized that her own situation wasn't right and she needed a new way of rationalizing things, a new moral compass. Isn't that cool? God came in. When you search for me with all your heart, you find me. 1 James says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's a promise. He comes near to us and he comes near to others when they search with all their heart. I love the message. So that, that's, that's James 4 verse 8. And the message puts it this way. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin, purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom, cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's only that way you'll get on your feet. It's a little bit longer than come near to God and he will come near to you. And then it has a few more, a little bit about um, encouragements and that. But I love the way the message can... Make things so much longer. Point three: always be seeking to pace yourself for the race. This is something I really think about a lot. Um, I've always said that we run a marathon; that that the Christian walk is a marathon, and we. And I've seen people burn out because they go too hard for too long, too intensely. I heard a speaker a few years ago, and he, he summed it up like this. He said, if people say life is like a marathon or the faith is like a marathon, he said, I don't agree with that. He said, I think life is like a marathon, punctuated by 100-meter sprints here and there. That sounds tiring. But I totally, I actually agree. We need to pace ourselves but just like in life, we have things that back up and they become quite intense for periods, but then we drop back down to the pace that we were at. So life's at a marathon. Life is a marathon. You know, I think I've told this story before, but I, I accidentally got picked to represent our school at the 2 Athletics, and, and it went like this. It was a sports day at Intermediate, uh, we were running around the track. I don't even know why because I didn't like running, but we all had to run. I think the teachers miscounted and thought Olsen's been around one once more or twice more than he really had. And suddenly they said to me, you won. And I'm like, won what? You know, like, were we racing? I didn't even know. I thought I was going backwards. So I got allotted to go off to this represent and Race at the men's two, athletics where I got trounced, tr- trounced. Is it trounced? Is that the right word? I got, I got dragged through the mud, beaten up and crushed, basically, putting it nicely. But I tell you what, I led the field for about the first 300 metres. <laughs> See, I didn't realise that you got to pace yourself. It was a 1500 metre, which I hadn't done the first time I think I probably ran about 1,200 the first time. They miscounted. Olsen won. No, he didn't really. He lost badly. I went out, and I watched it even at the Olympics last week. I watched runners. See, to run at that distance, you have to know when you're going to make you move when you're going to push out and and if you push out too early you get ahead of the field and you look very impressive but then you start to tire and the rest of the field comes through and leave you behind in in their dust that was me at 300 meters of the 1500 meter race so we have to pace ourselves And so we have to pace ourselves, but we have to take care of ourselves, and we also have to not stop so we're in the slack part of the tide, just washing around. You know, Equippers Church in Auckland, I was there some years ago, and they talk about a thing that they really push with their youth and their young adults and their entire church. And I've I've really remembered it, and and it's part of me. It's part of who I am. They talk about being on mission 24-7. On mission 24-7. That means when I leave church and I go to the service station, if I get an opportunity to share about God to someone, I'm on mission. That means if uh, I stop, I'm walking through town and I see someone needs a hand you know, something has happened, I'm on mission twenty four seven. That's me. I'm that guy. It means I'm it means I don't I don't turn up at church and think oh, I can do church on Sunday and then I can switch off the rest of the day or the or you know, Monday it doesn't matter, I can go back to what I was doing. No, I'm on mission twenty four seven. It's who I am. And, and that's my challenge to us is to actually move to this part where we're actually intentionally on mission 24-7. But not being Superman. See, one, one thing, I've, I've got my Batman top on. <laughs> But one thing, one thing I used to have to teach police when I did training and development was, especially the new police, they were so keen. They wanted to be a police at, at work all the time, and they wanted to, and they just wanted to be out doing jobs all the time. And I said, you can't be a police officer twenty-five seven, twenty-four seven. It's not healthy. You can't be at work twenty-four seven. It's just not healthy. We burn out, so we've got to have rest parts. So so we do need to rest, but we also need, there are times where we hit that 100-meter dash and we need to be on mission 24-7 through it all as well. I hope that makes sense. In a nutshell, it means a mission to work relentlessly to seek out God. It means a mission to relentlessly seek out the lost. Will you care about the lost enough to take the opportunities you get and share with them. When you come across broken people, will you say something? When you get opportunities to invite people to church, will you say something? Doesn't have to be anything heavy, but try and get people. If you're not sure how to give the gospel, take someone to them or bring them to church and we will, we will say stuff up the front about God. It's just what we do. (laughs) I don't know why. It's just what we do. Will you stay white hot 24-7? Stay hot. Don't let anything cool your heels. And will you be on mission to impact others around you to be white hot as well? That should be our goal. We should care. We should care about our friends. We were catching up with friends last night, and they've been believers for a long time, and, and I haven't seen them for a while, and I'm, I'm thinking, where can I impact? You know, can I make an impact? Can I increase the heat in their lives? Can I, you know? I do that with all my friends. I think, are, how are you doing in God? How are you doing? Are you, do, are you hungry for him? Do you care? Do you, are you hungry for people around you? Like, do you, do you care that people around you know him? Does it matter to you? Because I think God wants us keen. Keen as keen. Band can come up, thanks. So I'm going to leave it with that challenge. just to go away and ponder and consider where do we sit in our mission, 24-7 mission with God? Do we have a mission? Should we have a mission? I think we should. I think the Bible's very, very clear that we should have a mission. Jesus gave us missions. If we're in Jesus' camp, we have a mission. We can't, we can't say, I'm out, I punch you out. We're his followers, his disciples. We have things to do. How about I pray? Father, I thank you, God, that you have come into our lives and that you love us. I thank you for every single person here, that you love every single person here. And I thank you that you've given us knowledge of yourself and that we have the ability to affect people around us as well and share your love with others. And we just pray your journey with us. Help us. When we get opportunities, I just pray that you gently speak to us and help us to have words to say. Nothing heavy, but just be able to be sincere with people and talk with people and be be the real deal. But I just pray that people will just see Something different in our lives. They'll see a peace that's in our world. Something over us. And they'll recognize that we come from you. We live for you. I just pray you be with every single person this week. Through the week. Help us all to take our opportunities to make a mark for you. Father we pray in Jesus name. Hey just well. Every head's bowed. Um, I just want to give anyone who wants to an opportunity to actually make a decision to follow Jesus today. So I'm just conscious that, you know, we, we sometimes come onto the boil and we can go off the boil and that, but we need to always, as I said, be choosing to be intensely white hot for God and so if if there's anyone who hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus or maybe you've drifted a bit maybe you feel like you need to come back and just just give it a little indication to God that you take it seriously and and you've given first place why don't you raise your hand and I'll pray for you I won't bring you up the front but I'll pray for you where you are. So if there's anyone who wants to make that decision, just pop your hand up and I'll pray.